to that. As you know, we're in the We Believe series, and it's just incredible, um, the timing on this, that today's uh, message is on church relationship, one of the foundations and doctrinal statements of Foursquare, and early loved the church. So let's go ahead and read this together. We believe that having accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and King, and having thus been born into the family, an invisible body or church of the Lord, it is the sacred duty of the believer, whenever this lies within his power, to identify himself with and labor most earnestly for the upbuilding of God's kingdom with the visible church of Christ upon the earth, and that such visible church is a congregation of believers who have associated themselves together in Christian fellowship and in unity of the Spirit, observing the ordinances of Christ, worshiping Him in the beauty of holiness, speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, keep it going, reading and proclaiming His Word, laboring for the salvation of souls, giving their temporal means to carry on His work, edifying, encouraging, establishing one another in the most holy faith, working harmoniously together as dear children who are many members of but one body of which Christ is head. I love that. That gets me so excited. And if you've attended Lifespring for a while, I don't know, uh, probably within a couple of weeks, you know that I really care about that. That that really gets me going. I'm passionate about the church. A church and all that a church stands for, it matters to me. Now, there's been various seasons in my life I'm not so sure I was such a big fan of the church. Right? There's been times when I don't know if I've wanted to be a part of a church. Because guess what? I've been extremely hurt in the church. But I know that as a believer, I know as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am a part of His church. I can either try to run away from it. Have you ever tried to do that? Just run away from it, hide from it, or just ridicule it and tear it down. Or I can run towards Jesus. I can embrace His church. And I can do my best to build it up, to pray for it, and to encourage others to do the same. See, in this article of faith, our founder, Amy Simple McPherson, she is, I love it, she is boldly and unapologetically stating that it is the sacred duty of the believer, she says, whenever there lies your power to do so, to identify yourself in a congregation of believers. Now, it seems like an obvious point. It almost feels like a point that you wouldn't have to make, right? Duh. Right? Yes, you're a believer, go to church. But yet, here's the deal. As obvious as it seems... From the New Testament on, I mean, I'm talking about almost probably from day one. Well, day one was pretty exciting. So day two, from day two on, people have been trying to live out their lives in isolation, away from being a part of a body of Christ. It was happening way back when the book of Hebrews was written. We use this verse all the time. Remember Hebrews 10, verse 25? It's a great verse. What does it say? It says, do not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So that's telling you 2,000 years ago, even 2,000 years ago, a trend was beginning to emerge where people were bailing on the church. And you know what? I bet you they had some reasons. In fact, I bet you they had some really good reasons, just like you have some really good reasons. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, what? He says, don't do it. Right? Don't do it. Don't bail. Don't give up. Don't stop meeting together. I know it can be hard. I know it can be difficult. But do not give up on meeting together. And that same trend of leaving the church, it continues on into today. We all know people, right? We all know people that used to go to church. We have like close family members who used to go to church. And they used to go to church probably for one main reason, right? The, the main reason is offense. 
Right? Because somebody said something or somebody did something or someone didn't say something or someone didn't do something. And now they used to go to church. But in case you thought that was a new trend, there's nothing new about it. It's been happening since the very beginning. But I want to be so bold today. And and hopefully I can be bold. It's not too hard for me to be bold, I don't think. But I want to be so bold today to say, what is happening today in the American church? With this shifting in the population of the American church, the shifting, I think it's actually a really good thing. I do. And I want to tell you why. Because, see, we have this weird consumer prosperity church culture mentality thing going on and it became really popular over the past several decades where right you would go to church kind of like what john was talking about you go to church you'd find the perfect church you you found the church that had all the answers and you came in with your list of expectations and and all the kind of things that you wanted to find you're like i got these five requirements for the perfect church you came in and we called it church shopping, right? We all went shopping for church. In fact, it was such a part of our culture, we weren't even embarrassed to say that. Like, I would have people come and they go, oh yeah, we're church shopping right now. And so then you would just go from church to church to church. And then you'd find that one, right? The perfect one. It met all your needs. And then, hallelujah, found the perfect church. But then once it didn't meet your needs, what did you do? Once it didn't meet your expectations, once it failed on those requirements, you just kind of went on to the next church. And so it was church shopping and church hopping, right? And, but this is the issue. Instead of churches responding to that consumer mentality by actually teaching and preaching the truth of God's word, which would actually correct some of that selfish and inward thinking and behavior, the church actually responded by going even further into that consumer church mentality, by actually trying to make everything look nicer, creating more programs, doing everything we could to entertain you, always meeting your needs. And then, by the way, if we worked really hard to do that, maybe, just maybe, you would never leave the church. And by the way, this response by churches, this response by pastors, I think is one of the reasons, one of the main reasons so many pastors are leaving the ministry because they are exhausted from trying to make people happy all the time. These stats just came out. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they have no other way of making a living. And I think a part of this is that as pastors, we have been sucked into this consumer mentality of trying to meet everybody's needs. I've been a pastor for over 10 years now, and in those 10 years, I have seen this again and again. And because of this, here's the deal. Some of you are just so frustrated with me at times, and I get that, and and I don't even blame you for being frustrated with me. But you're frustrated with me because you realize that we do not play that game here. We don't, right? Because for me, I don't want to be walking on eggshells trying to make you happy all the time, just afraid of what I might say or what might do around you and offend you. See, I would actually have it be this way, and this is much scarier, by the way, but I'd actually have it where I would be the genuine, authentic article around you that actually sometimes disappoints you like a real human does, actually sometimes frustrates you, actually sometimes makes mistakes just like you sometimes make mistakes, but that we could actually learn in a real, actual community with each other where we would learn how to walk through conflict, learn how to ask for forgiveness when something's been done, when we've done something 
something wrong. And this is a tough one, actually learn how to forgive someone when they've done something wrong to us. And then this community would actually grow to become more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, we're not even going to do some of those same mistakes again because we're becoming more like Jesus. And that's really good. But even if I did make those mistakes, we would forgive the person 70 times 7 just like Jesus commanded us to do. I want to be a part of that kind of community. And I believe God is making that community here at Lifespring Church. Because sometimes, and, and I, this isn't wrong, but sometimes when I talk to other guys about their churches, you know, we love to talk about our churches, right? And the cool things about our churches, and cool, right? Awesome. But sometimes this is what I hear. And, uh, you know, like I'll be talking to a buddy of mine, and he'll be like, oh man, you, our church is just incredible. I mean, the sermons are so good, and that worship team, I mean, that drummer, he is incredible, and that stage, I mean, with the, just like, pew, pew, and it was awesome in the children's area and there was like cars and, and like we have our own, you know, espresso roast and our own coffee blend and, you know, on and on and on. And by the way, I love all of that. I think it's cool. Like, bring it on. I'm not against that stuff. It is great. I'm glad it's here. I'm not against it. I just wish it wasn't the first thing that came out of our mouths when we talk about our church. See, what I wish I heard was, oh man, I love my church. See, my church, the Holy Spirit is there at my church. Like, see, the fruit of the Spirit is just dripping all over that place. I mean, we're talking about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I mean, we, we, we sometimes get into disagreements at my church, but uh, the thing about it is we actually talk to each other about it and we work through it in a godly way and it's a place where I've learned how to forgive and also receive forgiveness. And oh man, that pastor, I mean, I'm just telling you, sometimes the sermons, they're just not that great. In fact, sometimes I don't even know what he's talking about. And the 50s organ music, I mean, it is really boring but I know that those people love God and they love others and I just know that when I am there I'm gathering with other believers my sisters and my brothers in Christ and we are there worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we're giving our praise to the Lord God Almighty see I I think that's a description of church that gets me excited I like that idea that first scenario it kind of makes church out to be a Walmart doesn't it Right? It's just where you kind of go, you're shopping, or I'd say it this way, a Broadway show, where you leave the show and then you evaluate the show. Have you ever evaluated church service on the way home, right? Like you're writing a review for the local paper. It's ridiculous. But that's what can happen when you get into that church consumer mentality. That second scenario, it sounds like a people actually gathering with other real people. And actually allowing a real God to do the good work that he said he was going to do in you. An actual, uncomfortable, inconvenient, painful work in you. A place where God would actually grow you to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. That first scenario, you hear about forgiveness. The, the pastor will preach on forgiveness. The second place, you actually have to put forgiveness into practice. I, I just want to say, it is easy to preach on forgiveness. Like, I can give you a really good message on forgiveness. It is much harder to actually forgive someone and to be forgiven. In the first place, you just watch the professionals do it all, right? Professionals reach the lost. Professionals feed the homeless. Professionals reach to the poor. The second place, you actually have to roll up your sleeves and get to work. Which scenario do you want? Do you want the first or do you want the second? I want the second. And here's the deal. Because I believe that first scenario, that whole consumer church mentality, I think it is dying. In fact, I think it's dead. I think it was dead a long time ago. It's had its day, it's had its season, but that season is over. It's coming to a close. And and a lot of the shift that is happening in the American church, I think it's because consumers are leaving the church. 
See, the consumer mentality is just not working because we spent the last 20 years, like he was talking about, going from church to church to church to church. And in that time, we've realized that there is no perfect church. So we are at a point, I'm telling you right now, today, 2015, after seeing that there is no perfect church, we are deciding, many of us are deciding the solution to that is just not to come to church. I have a whole wave of friends who I have worshipped the Lord and sat in service for year after year after year who have decided that the solution to not finding a perfect church is actually to stop going to church. It's kind of the trend. If you haven't experienced it yet, just wait. It's coming. But you know what gets me excited, what fires me up about this trend, what fires me up about the American church is that there are still those... Who are coming. That's why I'm more excited than ever. Because it doesn't help you politically anymore, right? To come to church. It's not going to help you socially anymore. It doesn't help your public image to be a Christian. It doesn't get you more friends on Facebook or more followers on Twitter. Because you are a Christian and yet you are still coming. The benefits of this world, they, they are no longer there. But yet you are still coming. You are coming because you are a Christ follower and you have decided that you are going to be an active member of the body of Christ. It isn't by chance or by accident. You didn't show up here by accident. You made a choice. You made a decision. I, a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be a part of this community. I'm going to go to the life group. I'm going to go to the service. I'm going to be a part of a local body of Christ. And I say it's a choice. It's important that you realize it is a choice. It's a choice to go to church. That you chose, you, you decided. Because I'm here to tell you, and I don't have to convince you, the people in the steeple can be a little bit challenging at times. And you could have chosen to stay home. Have you? I, I'm just being, oh, I want to do that. You're like, man, I, I just want to stay home. Just want to stay home. Because if grumpy Gertrude in the fourth row says something mean to you or forgetful Freddie forgets to wish you happy birthday at men's group, here's the deal. You that came, you don't care, right? It don't matter. It don't matter. Even if Wayne comes to me and says the most hurtful thing, I'm still showing up next Sunday, bud. And if I say something mean to Wayne, guess what? Wayne's still showing up next Sunday because he cares about the church. And I'll say this about Grumpy Gertrude and Forgetful Freddy. Do you know that? So I'm not saying all the time, but if you've been around the Lord long enough, don't you know that sometimes God is stretching you and working on you and challenging you and chiseling away on you with people exactly like Grumpy Gertrude and Forgetful Freddy? Right? I mean, we're not happy about it. Like, oh, this is so great. You know, I'm being persecuted. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're not quite there like the boys in the New Testament were. But don't you know that God actually works on us? That in those encounters, and I get that it's uncomfortable, I get that it's painful, but don't you know that you are becoming more like Jesus Christ in those encounters? I mean, this is the training ground where we get to work on that kind of stuff. The training ground. We work on our junk. We work on our issues. Out there is the battlefield. We're being trained up in righteousness. We're being trained up, learning how to live a healthy, functioning life where we can actually be an effective member of the body of Christ. 
And so now church, and this is again why it gets me so excited, now church isn't just a bunch of attenders, but church consists of a bunch of strong disciples of Jesus Christ, radical followers of Jesus Christ who won't let those conflicts or those arguments or those disagreements keep them from being a part of God's church. And that's why I'm excited. That's why I get goosebumps because I never wanted to be a part of a church that was just church attenders. I've spent two decades of my life just being a church attender. Talk about boring. I mean, I got better things to do with my life than just being a tender. But I want to be a part of a church where we are building strong disciples. And I believe I'm seeing that happen here at LifeSpring. See, we're actually growing in spiritual maturity. Did you know that you're growing in spiritual maturity? You are. And in fact, if you didn't think you were, let me sit you down. I will tell you how you are different from you were a year ago, how you were a month ago, how you were a week ago, because God is in you. He's working in you. And as you engage in this community, guess what? You just are growing. You are changing. Your heart is open and the Lord is working on you. You are growing in spiritual maturity. Two Thursdays ago, we had our last men's group. Are you kidding me? If you were in that men's group, it was incredible. Visually, I'm just telling you, it might freak you out. But what I saw, and this is what I told them, I saw mighty warriors of Christ who were ready for battle with the foundation of love as their sure stand and their sure footing. That's what I saw. I saw dangerous men and men for the kingdom of God. Monday night, prayer night. If you're at that prayer night, you know. I mean, we can't explain it all. Again, a lot of it's in the spiritual realm. But we know that we were taking ground for the kingdom of God in our community. Tonight, we're going to gather again. It's going to be incredible. These life groups that John is talking about, these life groups, we are taking ground in these life groups. We are learning how to actually be vulnerable. The thing, one of the things that you said is that it gives you an opportunity for you to testify. Not just to hear the testimony of others, but for you to testify. you got to sign up for a life group. I, I'm not going to give you candy or a free iPhone to do it. I'm just telling you, just sign up. Go. Because these gatherings, they're extremely Powerful, extremely powerful. And as we continue to meet together, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, that God is actually going to do a good work in us. He's going to build us up. We're going to go a little deeper. We're actually going to grow up, be strengthened as strong disciples. And it's important that we meet together on a consistent basis. You know, there's things that God wants to accomplish when we gather. I was thinking about that with Jonathan and him leading us in worship and us raising our hands together. Isn't there a power in that? Of a corporate setting, a corporate setting of worship where we're raising our hands together in solidarity saying, yes, God, our praise goes out to you. Remember, this whole idea of church is not something that I came up with or you came up with. It's not something that Peter came up with. It's not something that the Apostle Paul came up with. Whose idea was church? God. Do you remember uh, Jesus and the Apostle Peter or, or the disciple Peter? They're, they're talking, right? And, and, and Jesus has some things to say to Peter. And... I would just say that Jesus is pretty passionate about his church. Listen to what he says. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Who's going to build the church? Pastor Dan's going to build it? You're going to Who's going to build the church? Gee, I will build my church. And then the next part, can we just read this together? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Woo! Are you kidding me? Thank you, Jesus. He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, this idea of church in the New Testament, it's the Greek word. You've heard this before, ekklesia. Almost every time you see ekklesia, it is translated as the word church. But back then, ekklesia is just a common term for a, a, a group of people gathering, a local assembly of people. So the church 
is a spiritual ecclesia. It is a spiritual gathering or local assembly of people. In Matthew 18:20, Jesus lets us know how small this gathering can be. He said, my father talked about this last week, where there are two or three gathered in my name, I am there in my midst. So when my father took Randy for a walk outside and he took John for a walk outside, guess what? They could have had church outside in the parking lot where two or three are gathered. Jesus is there. At times we see the ecclesia used more like a collective of a region. You're going to see this in Acts 9.31. It's a collection of local gather, uh, congregations. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Occasionally you're going to hear it more like, like uh, the church. You know, like just the church. You know, like forever and ever the church. And, and Jesus Kind of, do you remember what part he plays in the church? Is he the fingers? Is he the toes? Is he the, is he the body? Remember what part Jesus is? He is the head. That's what Colossians 1.18 says. He is the head of the body. What does it say right after that? The church. So, I'll take it one step further. Well, he is the head of the church, the universal church that's been around for 2,000 years. Guess what? When you are, um, when you're regenerated, when you have the new birth, guess what you get to be? A part of. It's a really easy answer. I'm setting you up. You get to be a part of the... Yeah, the body. The church. You are automatically a member of the universal family of Christ. This family, this body that Christ is the head of. And it's important to understand that this identification with God's people, it is meant to be lived out on a day-to-day basis in the local church. You can't just be in your living room by yourself watching NASCAR thinking that you're having church. No, I want to I read Hebrews 10... And another wrong with NASCAR, but watch it after church. DVR. Come on. Hebrews 10.25. Don't give up on meeting one, with one another, as some are in the habit of doing. But what does it say? It says, encourage one another. How are you going to encourage somebody sitting on your sofa? That's a good question. I mean, anyone else know? I, I'm just telling you, in my sphere of influence, I know so many people that say, I've been hurt so much by the church, I'm just going to do this me and God thing by myself. How are you going to do Hebrews 10.25 when it's just you and God? I don't get that. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. So you've got to keep on gathering together. You've got to have this assembly of believers, this ecclesia of brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you gather, I hope we saw that as well. You've got to encourage one another. I think I've seen a lot of that here. It's one of my joys of being at Life Spring. But I just encourage you, if, if you think, oh, I'm going to encourage you, that's great. But if you think that maybe it's awkward that you prayed for somebody, or awkward that you gave a prophetic word to somebody, or awkward that you, when someone was kind of discouraged, that you say, hey man, it's going to be okay and God's with you. If you thought that was awkward, it's actually the most natural thing you could do in a gathering such as this. If you think this and what I'm doing right now is what church is about, it is a part of church. But the power in church is the testimony. The power of church is the encouragement of the brother and the sister in Christ. So we gather together, we encourage one another, and then we have a purpose. I've talked a lot about this lately. The purpose of because we love God and because we love others, we're going to win people to Christ, we're going to build strong disciples, and we're going to send out missional leaders. And when I preached on win, build, send, I talked about how this is really flowing from the great commission. Great commission, right? Now, we're going to go out into the world. We're going to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us to do. 
So that's our purpose. And what I love about Windbuild Sin and the Great Commission is that all of this is centered, one, around Jesus. If you're going to a church that isn't centered around Jesus, actually you should hop. Like you should not hop, you should sprint far away from that church and never come back again. You've got to be centered on Jesus. But it's not just being centered on Jesus, it's being His disciple. Again, not just an attender, but a disciple. We win people, think about Windbuild Sin, we win people to Christ so that they would be what? Starts with a D. Disciples. And then as a disciple, we build you up so that we can send you out to make more disciples. Discipleship, by the way, is not just a part of the church. Discipleship is like the thing of church. It's to be a disciple of Christ and to go and make more disciples. That's why church exists. But then, you know, we're human and we're flawed and we kind of get wayward, we kind of just started messing this up in the 1900s. Like at the beginning of the 1900s, it was pretty exciting. The church was doing some serious things. Just look at some of the things that the church did. The hospitals that were uh, founded by churches and the centers and, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit back in the day. I mean, just incredible things that the church was doing. But then, I don't know, I wasn't living back then, but it feels like maybe we just kind of got on the cruise control a bit. And we, we started kind of just slowly get into a place where we weren't making disciples. As someone that grew up in the Presbyterian church for 20 years, what I, what I kind of felt I saw was that the church was getting much better at making attenders than making disciples. And I think it was a slow transition, kind of like the frog, you know, dying in the boiling water. It was a slow transition, but the church kind of had just evolved into a social group, kind of like what you talked about. Or maybe a good old boys club, a place where you gathered with your friends, right? And you talked about your medical issues and your last doctor's visit and you played bingo and, you know, things like that. Instead of, by the way, what it should be, which is a place where you are equipped to do the work of the ministry. I mean, do you see how that is like oil and water? They're so not the same thing of coming together to get your social fix compared to being equipped and prepared and built up to do the work of the ministry. And so what I believe was happening and what started to happen was the actual works that were prepared in advance, by the way, for us to do, like before the foundations of this world, for each one of us to do. We took those works and we put them on one or two paid pastors and we said, you do the work. Well, I have my bingo night, right? You do the work. And guess what? This model of church, it failed. It failed miserably. In fact, it is a model that has successfully closed down thousands of churches, not hundreds, Thousands of churches. You want to close up shop? Just make sure that everyone is coming and that when they're coming, they're only coming to have their needs met and get their social fix. Because eventually, all those people that are, by the way, happy campers, they will all die off. And after having died off, they'll have not made any more disciples and the pastor will still be doing the same things that he's already done and done for decades, but he's now doing it for nobody. There's no one to do it for. So he's going to close up the doors and the church is going to die. Well, that's not good. And we, we were smart enough to realize that's not good. So then we decided, aha, we need to make disciples. So we just started this discipleship idea and discipleship programs. And I, I'm all for discipleship programs. And I'm happy that this came around. It was the church's attempt to try to get people off the sidelines of the faith and get them into the game, so to speak. To remind you that you are called to be a disciple of Christ. You are called to shine the light of Christ like you were talking about earlier. That you've been given spiritual gifts that are desperately needed in the body of Christ. That you have a divine purpose 
purpose and it goes way beyond the idea of me just looking inward at me, myself, and I. And it's been good. I love discipleship programs. I want every one of you to go to our programs. We have the Life Track classes, 101, 201, 301, 401. I want you to go all of them. I don't care which order you go to them. 401 is starting over there, uh, second service. I want you to go to these programs. I love the programs. But the problem is, now we've made the idea of making disciples, we've dumbed it down to four classes. Is that discipleship making? The answer is no. I mean, it's a part of it. Hallelujah, it's a part of it. But can we please be a little more intelligent than that to think that just going to four classes and voila, I am now a disciple. So I, you know, I don't want us to land in that, you know, be in that land where we bail on being disciples and let the pastor do everything. But I also don't want to be in that place where discipleship is just four steps. The discipleship process, it is much more organic. It's actually way better than that. So I wanted to share a list of nine ways, nine ways that the local church, that Lifespring Church, nine ways that we can help make disciples. I, I, I should have come up with ten. It sounds a lot more biblical to have ten, but I got nine. So this is how the church helps make disciples. Number one, worship. To be a disciple, you've got to grow in your intimacy with God through worship. When we worship, we are doing the highest thing possible for a human being to do the, the human being worshiping God, communing with God, engaging in relationship with God. You're going to grow as a disciple through worship. Number two, Bible study and preaching all scripture. Second Timothy 316 tells us all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You want to grow as a disciple in Christ? Then read your Bible. It sounds like second grade Sunday school, but it's actually the truth. They were telling you the truth. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Go to a church where they preach the Word of God. We preach the Word of God at Lifestream because we actually want you to know God. Did you know that? It's not just so you'd feel guilty or condemned or judged. It's actually because we want you to know God. We want you to kind of understand His ways. We want to actually help you grow in your faith to obey Him. Radically obey Him. Number three, prayer. This is powerful. Jesus modeled prayer for us so much in the Gospels. There's no skill, I believe, no discipline more essential for a disciple than being able to pray effectively. So we modeled prayer at Lifestream a few weeks ago. Some of you, I know it made you uncomfortable, but I love it. We broke up into small groups during service and we spent time praying for one another because we want to teach you how to pray because in prayer you get to talk to God and the glorious truth. I mean, I think that's pretty glorious and pretty special, but the really thing that gives me the goosebumps is that then God actually talks to us. For healing, healing. Everywhere that Jesus went, He healed people. Remember that? Where, when was that? When He's... When he says, you know, like he had a tough time. Uh, oh, it's his hometown. Remember that? And they, he had tough, but then it said that he still healed some people. Like, it, but they put it like kind of like a, eh, and he healed some people and whatever. Like he healed somebody. Like if I prayed and you healed, like uh, I couldn't do much that day. I only healed a couple people. Anyways, <laughs> total side note. But when he prayed to the Father, he said this. He said this. It's in John seventeen eighteen. He said, "As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world." So guess what? He's sending you out into this world to pray for people to be healed. It should be a part of every one of our lives. Stop making it so that one or two people get to be the people that pray for people to be healed. The church, there is a ministry at this church 
that every one of us should be a part of, of laying on of hands to anointing each other with oil, praying for each other. Just this week, we received a praise report of healing. Monica Wilmot, she had two ladies at this church pray over her. She had a tear in her hip that maybe was going to require some surgery. And guess what? When the orthopedic, this just happened this week. When the orthopedic surgeon looked at the second MRI, the tear wasn't there. In fact, the doctor said the cartilage around the hip that was thought to have the tear, it showed that it was thicker than average. Hallelujah. So you come into a place like this and you pray for one another. You also learn how to love one another. You're built up as a disciple to learn how to love one another. As disciples, it's tough. The love thing and discipleship, it kind of goes hand in hand. Again, maybe we missed out a little bit in what I grew up in. We were pretty good at following the rules. We weren't so good at the love part of life. But loving one another is huge. Jesus commands us, commands us. He says, as a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. But he doesn't stop there. This is powerful. He says, by this, everyone, say everyone. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You want to have a witness in this world? What did it just say? Then you love one another. You want to ruin your witness? Guess what? Just don't love people and you're on your way. This means, how much did Jesus love the church? He died for the church. This means we should be willing to die for each other. That's kind of a high bar. But I would say the less dramatic steps of forgiveness and patience and kindness, they ought to be the normal atmosphere of this church. This level of commitment is exactly what you see in the book of Acts. These first churches that are formed, you learn how to love in the context of a church. Number six, administrating the ordinances. On this one, I don't want to complicate you or confuse you with that. It's just the formal things that we do with this church. You're going to see us do communion once a month. You're going to witness and see baptisms. Wasn't that incredible? The baptisms that took place a couple of weeks ago. You're also going to see us do, we, we do those um, baby dedications, which I love. And we'll do weddings and we'll do memorial services like on February 21st. You want to be a part of a body of Christ because you get to be a part of those things. And you know what? You have a role to play. At, at baby dedications, do you notice I always ask you a question? I always ask you, I want you to have some responsibility in that baby's life. That's what being a church is about. That you feel the responsibility to not give up on meeting together, but actually coming together and to encourage one another. So this baby that we know is going to have some hard times in life, is going to have some challenges. It's okay. You're never going to be alone because this church is going to encourage us and encourage you. And we're going to help you and we're going to raise you up and we're going to pray for you. And so it's important to come, to be a part of those things and encourage the body. Another thing, you're going to come to church because we want to equip you for service. And one of the things is that life track class that I'm talking about. We, as a membership, we want to be equipped for service. The, the Bible gives us the command. We want to follow that command. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. This is what Paul says. And he, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So that includes our life track classes. It is the assignment of church leaders, including myself, to equip you for the work of the ministry. Again, not to be an attender, to be a strong disciple. And so the leadership team here, when we meet, guess what we're doing? We are searching for ways to help you serve God in your life. 
where you and your life would produce fruit. Number eight, giving. Giving. I love going to church because it teaches me how to give. Without the church, I don't know where I'd be in that world. But in the church, I learned how to give. And not just give, not like a grump or a scrooge, but to cheerfully, hilariously give. Giving generously to the Lord. It is an important element of discipleship. If you are not giving in your life right now and you're calling your disciple, you're probably feeling pretty miserable right now because you're not completely and fully expressing what God has called you to express as a disciple, which is to be a part of His giving. When we give as disciples, there's a couple things that we are doing that are extremely powerful. Number one, we're acknowledging that God is our source. Because have you noticed when you start giving, sometimes it's kind of scary and sometimes it's kind of fearful and we wonder, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know. But we're saying, no, God, I am trusting in you. I'm trusting you that you are the source, that you are the great provider. And so we give. And as we give, I don't know about you, but for me, as I give my faith, what happens to my faith when I start giving? Whoop. Are you kidding me? It goes way up because we learn how to turn that compassion that we feel when the Lord comes into your life and the old is gone and the new has come. We have a compassion for people. Don't, have you noticed that? You get that new heart, the heart that was flesh or was stone is now turned into flesh and we have a compassion for people. In giving, our compassion actually gets transformed into tangible gifts of kindness. Have you noticed that with giving? That it actually turns into something practical. And I'm telling you, I have not always been a very giving person. Giving did not come naturally to me. But guess where I learned it? I learned it in the church. Twice as a college student. I emptied my entire bank account. I worked and worked and worked. Went to the local church. I was sitting in the pew. The Lord said, give all your money. And I wrote a check and I gave everything I had. It's not smart. If I was that kid's parent, I'd be like, what are you doing? But guess what I learned? I will never go away from giving because of those moments. Because in those moments where I gave everything I had, guess what? God left me and abandoned me. No! God provided. And He showed me that He blesses the giver. And that He is my great provider. And then finally, when you come to church, you learn that a true disciple evangelizes. You're an evangelist. You, you evangelize. Evangelism is so huge. Have you read the Great Commission? It is telling every one of us to go in some way to go, to go. It is virtually impossible to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not have a deep desire to see lost people found, to see people that are hurting to be healed, to see people that are blind to have them see. Remember Jesus the one who models discipleship for us. He said, the Son of Man, this is Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was what? Which was lost. If that is Jesus' passion, if His passion is to find the lost, then as a disciple of Jesus who takes a step, wherever He takes a step, I take a step. Wherever He goes, I go. If His passion is for the lost, my passion is for the lost. Your passion is for the lost. See, we have different gifts. We have, you know, right? I mean, the body of Christ, it's complex and it's unique and it's special. And we all have our different gifts and we all have our different ministries in the body of Christ. But each one of us should be preferably seeking to lead unbelievers to Christ. That man in the back, he said uh, in our men's group, he says, this year, 2015, I feel like the Lord has told me that I'm going to lead someone to Christ. <clears throat> Are you kidding me? We'd have to have a building campaign like tomorrow. 
I love it. I am going to lead someone to Christ. And I want you to hear that call. I want you to feel that challenge. I want it to make you uncomfortable. In fact, I'm fine if it scares you to death. But God has called you to be a part of His kingdom and to be a part of His army and to continue to spread His love through this world. And that the lost, those lost, the lost, there are lost in our community, there are lost in Edgewood and Milton and Fife, that the lost will be found and they be found through people like you. Jesus, He tells us the truth in Luke 10, verse 2. Listen to this. He says, The harvest is plentiful. But what? The workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Well, guess what? This is what I believe. I I believe this with all my heart, that when we build up strong disciples, the number of people who are saved in our community will automatically increase because now, guess what? There's going to be more laborers for the harvest. Does that make sense? That as we actually build up strong disciples, there are more laborers for the harvest and we're going to see the lost be found. So I want this for our church. Do you want it for our church? Absolutely. I want it for our church. I want all nine of those things for our church. Every one of us. And I believe that as you engage in godly community in this local body, that's going to happen. And and of course, it goes way beyond that. The nine, I just came up with the nine, but it goes way beyond that. See, for some of you, may I be so bold, I, I believe that God wants to work on some of your character development. Guess what? You're not perfect yet. But He'd love to help you get on the way, right? Character development. Some of us fight that, man, right? Some of us are so defensive on our character issues. But you got character issues. But guess what? When I hang out with John, he, I'm not talking about his age, but he's just a more mature Christian than I am in a lot of ways. And when I see him handle loss and handle tragedy and handle pain, guess what? I am being developed in my character. Does that make sense? That can't happen on my couch, at my home, by myself, on my sofa, watching NASCAR. It has to happen in the context of community. I am learning. He is working. The Lord is working on my character through people like John. I want you to come. I believe that some of you, God actually wants to move you forward in the service of the kingdom of God. Again, I get that scary and whatnot, but he actually wants you to take a step. Right now, some of you, as I've been preaching and as I've been talking about the church, you are sitting there and you're you're thinking, I just know this is true. You're thinking, God, you're calling me to do that. There's a step that he's calling you to do. Well, guess what? No matter how simple that step is that is taken, the advancement of the kingdom of God, it arouses demonic opposition. It just does. Have you ever done that? Where you're like, I'm going to... Oh, we had a leader who was going to uh, help out with one of our ministries. And within a couple of weeks, she just texted me like, oh my goodness, like this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. I'm like, welcome to the ministry. But see, Jesus has actually given us authority to hold that opposition at bay. And that authority is administered through agreeing prayer. So guess what? You need people to pray for you when you step out in faith. Ignoring this principle, it has caused so many people, well-intentioned believers, to be defeated as they tried to take a step of faith. So you've got to get in community and you've got to let others pray for you. I get it. Sometimes it's hard to ask for prayer, but if you're taking a step of faith, and you know who you are, if you feel like you need to take a step of faith, come to someone. Say, hey, I'm feeling like maybe I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to take this step. Would you pray for me? And the person, I can tell you right now, if they are at this church taking up a seat right now, the answer to that question is going to be a resounding yes. I believe some of you desperately need spiritual refreshment. Rachel was talking about that with tonight. There's spiritual refreshment. And in a gathering such as this, there's always that prophetic impact when the word is preached to a hungry soul and to a hungry church. Right? There's just that, that refreshing that happens. 
Without the spiritual food, without the spiritual drink, God's people tend to grow weak and to lose their boldness to minister. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed like when, whether it's yourself or someone else, when they kind of lose the engagement in the body of Christ, that they just begin to grow weak? And you see it. It's a malnourishment. And so you've got to come together. The devil, by the way, that's why he loves to disrupt a healthy church. And so we pray against that and we also go against it by coming in and saying, Holy Spirit, you do your work. And minister to us like he has today. Minister to us at a corporate level. Give us the spiritual refreshment that we need. I believe that some of you, you are ready even this morning for an enhanced effectiveness in ministry. Because the church needs you. And I've always thought that regardless how big or small we are, that we are not lacking. That's just what I believe. The body of Christ is represented here. The whole body of Christ. And so if the whole body of Christ is represented here in this local church, then we need every one of you to be a part of that whole body of Christ. And if you're not playing your part, then the body's going to look deformed. And so each one of us needs to do that. God intentionally, and I think about this, but I don't know if you thought about this, but I love this. God, listen to this. God intentionally designed us to need others' gifts to be displayed for us to be successful. Each of us is gifted by God, but we don't have all the gifts where we're expressing all the gifts, just me, myself, and I. Think about it. Why does God do that? I believe He does it to humble us. <laughs> right? Where we actually have to work with somebody else. Where we actually have to be in community. Do you see that? Isn't that awesome that God intentionally designed it where I would have to depend upon John and Kathy and Randy and Wayne. In our society, in American society, where we're so individualistic, like that just rubs up against us. Like, no, I'm pulling up myself on my own bootstraps. And God says, no, I'm going to make you in a way where you're going to have to depend and rely on other people's gifts. Whoo, that's tough. But it keeps us dependent. I love this on Christ. Dependent on Christ. No disciple is expected to serve in isolation. If you're serving in isolation, you will be defeated. All ministry is intended to flow out of community. And I believe that God, finally to close, I believe that God wants to give us an enhanced witness to the world. An enhanced witness to the world. And it all begins with how we treat one another here. Of all the things that Christians could do to convince the world that Jesus really is their Savior, the most important would be that we love one another. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Later, he was praying for the disciples' unity so that the world may believe that you sent me. Given the current moral temperature of our human society, there's nothing that will be more noteworthy than a group of people who harmoniously and peacefully work together, loving each other so deeply that we would die for one another. That's going to get the world's attention. As you you talked about earlier about the world getting darker in our prayer time and that we would shine the light of Christ. Guess what? Loving one another, that will catch the world's attention. And that's why the devil is always going to try to divide congregations because he knows, he knows that our infighting, it will weaken our witness to a dying world. And I want to ask Jonathan to come on up at this point. And I read Hebrews 10, 25 a couple of times and I want to leave you with a verse before it, Hebrews 10, 24. This is what it says. It says, let us consider, and this is for every one of us in this room, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Life spring, let us consider. Let us consider 
how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Think about the person to your left and your right. Let us consider how we may spur one another, the person to my left, to my right, in front of me, behind me, on toward love and good deeds. If we're going to decide, and you have decided to be a part of this church. You don't have to be a part of the church. No one is forcing you to be a part of this local body. But if you have decided, if you've made that choice to be an active part of God's church, of Christ's body, then let that verse penetrate your heart this morning. Let it change your thinking. My thinking so easily, so easily becomes inward. All about myself. Oh my God. My thinking about my problems, my issues, my pain. My son, you know, all just thinking just goes inward so quickly. But this verse, where does the thinking go? It goes out. Out. To love God. To love others. Life spring, let us consider. It's, it's the idea of, let me consider how I use my time. How I use my energy. How I would use my brain cells. What I would use my energy for. Let me consider how I may spur on you in two things for love and good deeds not giving up on meeting but encouraging one another I want us to spend a time in prayer in fact in just a time of silence before the Lord a time in prayer that we would pray to Him but more than anything we would allow Him to speak to us ask God in this time to help us to teach us how to live in community where we would spur one another on to love and good deeds, encouraging one another. After a few moments, we're going to have Jonathan sing another song to close us out. Let's use this time, God, to speak to us.